Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 28, if you would, and we're going to look at a very uh, famous and familiar passage. And so when you preach a sermon out of a famous, familiar passage, you run some risks, and I know those risks. Uh, I've sat where you sat, and someone else was here preaching a text like this, and you're like, well, I've heard this sermon. You know, I know what this text is about. I got it. I understand, you know. Don't let your mind drift like that this morning. Hold yourself in tight to the scriptures. I want to bring a sermon entitled Discipleship. We're in an Advent season, and we've been talking about that Advent, and we've been looking at different passages. Remember the first passage in our series, we were in Revelation chapter 7, and we saw the end. What is the end? You know, when you know the end, it can encourage you along the way, right? I mean, there's nothing worse than starting out on a trip and not knowing where you're going for some of you. For some of us, we enjoy that. We call it rides in the country, you know, go through McDonald's drive-thru, get a cup of coffee, and ride around for an hour and a half. You get home, the kids say, where'd you go? We didn't go anywhere. We just rode around, and, and we enjoyed that. But if you were trying to go to a destination, you would want to know what that destination is. And aren't we thankful that God, in his providence and in his goodness, has shown us what the end will look like? In Revelation 7, we see all people from tribes and nations and tongues, all the, 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 the glory of God's diversity around the throne, worshiping the Savior. That's the end. That's what's coming. How are we going to get there, we ask? Well, Steve told us how we're going to get there. Last week, we looked at Romans chapter 15, specifically looking at Paul's heart for those who had never heard the gospel. And I thought there were some things that Steve brought out in that passage that were very helpful to set up today's sermon. Because in our urgency to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, which we should have an urgency to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, sometimes we can say it in ways that are unhelpful. We can talk about it in ways that don't bring the body of Christ together. It actually divides the body of Christ. You know, it divides it along lines of like, well, there's this special class of Christians that are called, and then there's the rest of us. There's these kamikaze soldiers of God that go over into these foreign places to these tribes that are unreached. They're the special ones. They're the ones God really loves and empowers. And then there's the rest of us average Joes, right? We can talk that way. Have you ever talked that way? Have you ever thought that way? That Let's break it down a little more local. Well, the pastor is close to God. And then there's, then there's these, these other leaders, and then there's me. And we have this hierarchy in our mind. And so like at the top and the pinnacle of the hierarchy of Christendom among evangelicals is often the missionary, not just the missionary, but the missionary preaching the gospel where it's never been preached, and we talk about them like they're super saints, but what Steve told us is so true. The gospel is the call to the mission. Everything else is what? Location. Everything else is just location. You're called, you're called, I'm called, and they are called to the same gospel mission. The exact same one. 
If you belong to Jesus Christ today, if he is your Lord and Savior, you are on the mission. The only question is, where am I going to live? Where am I going to live and what am I going to do? That What skills has he given me to bring about furtherance of his kingdom? You know, I think about the skills that we have in our church. And if we're putting all of those skills to use, what will God do among us? What will he do in our community? I mean, we've got prayer warriors. We've got people who, who are, are, are sharp in their mind and able to teach. We've got people who are able to show up early and stay late to clean and take care of the details. We've got people who can bless us with unbelievable talents through music. We are blessed with people who are administrative. We're blessed with people who can speak eloquently. We're blessed with people that you see and people that you cannot see. And all of them with a gift wired by God to be on mission. Some are called to go to the ends of the earth. Paul was one of those. Remember he said in Romans 15, my desire is that I would take this gospel and preach it where it has not been preached so that I'm not building on someone else's foundation. But Steve helped us there, didn't he? Because he said, this is not the Great Commission. That verse in Romans 15 is not the Great Commission. That's Paul living out the Great Commission as God called Paul to live out the Great Commission. So often we think the people who are called are the special ones. The special ones hold offices and the most special are the ones who go to the unreached peoples. The rest of us are just average Joes. I want to show you today through Matthew 28 that that is absolutely not the case. That is not what Jesus has said. In Matthew 28, beginning in verse, uh, we'll begin in verse 16, it says that the 11 disciples, you notice what he calls them. Matthew says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The way the end will come is through the mission of God, which is the gospel mission to reach the ends of the earth, here and far. God is reaching his people, bringing them into his family through the gospel mission. And the gospel mission is extended only on the platform of the discipled church. You don't end up with the Apostle Paul without discipleship. Some of you in here, some of you young folks, some of you middle-aged folks, maybe even an elderly person would say, I feel God tugging at me to do something like I've never done before. I feel God calling me to a new work, to a new thing. That doesn't happen to people who aren't being discipled. The Great Commission is a call not to make the Apostle Pauls of the world. The Great Commission is not so that you or I will save people from their sins. 
God hadn't called us to that. Let me say one more thing. The gospel great commission is not a call to build the church. Jesus will build his church. The commission is to make disciples. So I want to start this morning out there in in, in verse 16. We see, 16 and 17, we see this background. Eleven disciples went to Galilee. They went up on a mountain where Jesus had told them to go. You see, they had gotten accustomed and used to the fact that they were to follow the Lord. That's how it started, right? Matthew, at the beginning of his journey with Jesus, was at a tax collector's booth. He was a sellout accountant to the Roman Empire. He was, he was charging taxes to his own people. He was a traitor to his people. Jesus walked to his booth and said, come follow me. Come follow me. Peter. John, James, what were they doing? They were just living their life on the Sea of Galilee, fishing with their families, running a small business. Jesus walked along the shore that day and said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And he called zealots. He called a zealot. He called a tax collector. He called fishermen. He called Nathaniel, in whom there is no deceit, an upright Jew, You remember when he called him in the first chapter of John? Nathaniel comes walking up and Jesus announces him that way. Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile, no deceit. That, by the way, was not a compliment. You can see it by Nathaniel's response. How do you know me? Really? Like, you're so upright (laughs) that you take the title for yourself. This man is not deceitful in any way. Oh, yeah, how does this guy know me? I mean, you know, I'm a great guy. No, Jesus said, I've known you before you, he could even imagine. I knew you when you were sitting under the tree. He said, my Lord, my Lord, my God, you you really are the one they say you are. Jesus called common, everyday people like you and like me to follow him. And the beginning of this passage in verse 16, these 11 are just doing what they've been doing. Jesus said, go to a mountain in this region, and they went. You can't be a disciple if you're not following the Lord. You can't be a disciple of someone unless you're following their way and practice of life. And so we see in the introduction that these 11 disciples just simply are doing what they've been doing for three years now. They've been following Jesus. They go to the mountain, they show up there, and they see Jesus, and they immediately worship him. You can't be a disciple of Jesus unless you worship Jesus. You can't be a Jesus disciple if you're not following Jesus, if you're not following his life and his practice. And you can't be a disciple of Jesus if you're not worshiping him as God Almighty. There are no disciples that are not worshipers first. There are no disciples that are not falling at the feet of the throne and saying, worthy is the Lamb. Every day they follow Jesus in these very common things, like eating and sleeping, like interacting with the crowds, buying and selling and trading, common everyday things. And they saw his life and they saw his crucifixion, and they've seen him resurrected, and they say, this is the Messiah. This is the one, and now they're 
worshiping him. You cannot be a disciple unless you follow Christ, unless you worship Christ. You're just fooling yourself if you call yourself a disciple and aren't doing those basic things. But notice something else about these disciples. These disciples, these 11 disciples, the original Christ-chosen men, they worshiped him and did what? What? It's in your text. They worshiped and doubted. None of you know that experience, do you? I mean, no one in this room, surely no one at Grace Fellowship has ever doubted. Of course you have. Of course I have. Discipleship involves three things these 11 disciples have. One, it takes following Christ's character, life, pursuing Christ's likeness. Two, it takes worshiping him as God. And three, it takes an honest admission that I don't have all the answers and sometimes my faith is insufficient. True disciples are not superheroes that walk around banishing the darkness of the world through their sheer faith in God. No, it's disciples that say, I believe, help my unbelief. Our elders were texting yesterday about some things that are in the news and we were actually reminding each other of this very thing and that is that sometimes we say things because our head knows those things are true, whether our heart actually accepts it fully or not. We say things and we believe things greater than it is possible for us to actually believe on our own. That's the right way to do life, to do the Christian life and discipleship. Don't sit around, in other words, and wait until you feel like you actually believe all the things that you are called to believe. Don't just sit around inactive saying, well, you know, I'll worship God when, the, when, when, you know, when it feels right. No, you worship God because it is right. Don't sit around and say, well, you know, I would read my Bible, but, you know, I just, I'm just not drawn to it that much. I mean, I, you know, I know it's important. I'm going to do it. Disciples say, help my unbelief, and they pick up their Bible and they read don't wait to pray until you have an unction to pray. Don't, don't wait, because if you wait for the unction, your flesh and this world and Satan will make sure you never have the unction. You'll be tempted to all kinds of things. You've ever had that experience as a follower of Christ? You, start, you're like, you, got, you lay down in the bed at night, and you wake up to this rapturous, you, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to wake up in the morning. All the sun, all the sun's going to be shining. It's just going to be coming up, and the birds are going to be at the windowsill chirping. And I'll grab my cup of coffee, and I'll sit in my favorite location in my house, and I'll get my Bible out, and I'll have quiet time. And you wake up. The kids are screaming. It's raining outside. The only thing you hear chirping is your closest loved one chirping at you to do whatever it is they want you to do. And you say, I haven't got time to pray. I don't feel like praying. Disciples say, Lord, I got a lot of doubts this morning. Help my doubts. Disciples live in a real world. Disciples know Christ because they've been near him. And they follow Christ and they worship Christ even in the face of their doubts. 
So all of this is just introductory. These 11 are like a picture of discipleship for us. They're a picture of discipleship for us. So what gives power to this disciple life? What empowers this discipling life? The very next verse tells us. Jesus addresses them very plainly. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Your discipleship and your disciple making is not empowered by your strength, but rather by the authority of Jesus Christ. What kind of authority is it? It's complete authority. He says all. Now, I know a lot of pastors love to play around with the original languages. And so they look at and they tell you what words might mean. Or there might be two or three options for what the word means. In this case, there's one option. You know what all means? It means all. I know it's complicated. I'll try to slow it down for you. It means that there's not any authority outside of Christ. Authority over all things natural and supernatural. Authority over all things in heaven, angelic beings, earth, created beings of the earth, humans, storms, natural disasters, all under the earth. There's no demonic power outside of his authority. All authority has been given to me. Who gave it to him? His father did. His father gave him this authority. And the father's greater than all. And if the father's greater than all and has entrusted all authority to Christ, then there is nothing accepted from that. He has all authority. You say, well, what does this have to do with the commission? It matters who it is that you're working for. It matters who it is that you're living your life for. For instance, if you walk into, right now, the White House of the United States of America, uninvited, no credentials, and no purpose for being there, and you walk in. Now listen, our president is an aged man. I dare say most people in here, most people, could take our president in a physical combat. That's not being disrespectful. That's the honest truth. He is a feeble man. He's old. But try to walk in his house today, uninvited. No authority, no purpose, no job. You just show up. Open the front door, walk in. Watch how fast your head spins how fast you find yourself prone positioned on the ground. Why? Because of the authority which that feeble president has. So if a feeble, dying president holds such authority that you can't approach him without his bidding you come and giving you the credentials to come, the unaged, unageable, eternal son of God says, I have all authority, and we say, well, you know, that discipleship thing, I'm not sure that's going to work. I'm not sure that's really, I don't really have the strength. You don't need the strength. You don't need the power. You don't need the ability. You need a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. He has all authority in heaven, earth, and under the earth. And it has been given to him by the Father. And no one is greater than the Father. So by that authority, he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all peoples. Go. 
It's the first command in the passage. To go and do what he commands you to do. He doesn't tell you a location, does he? That's what's nice. He doesn't tell the disciples like, well, you know, you, you, Peter, you're going to go to Jerusalem, and that's where you're going to be. And you, you know, Bartholomew, your, your task is going to be to take it around the, the, the coast of India. And you're going to die over there. That, that's where you're going to die and be martyred. And, and you, he gave no locations. Why? Because this is a universal call. It's not just to these 11. It's to all that will come after them. Go make disciples of all peoples. Go make disciples. What we already define a disciple. A disciple follows. A disciple worships. A disciple does all of that in the face of doubt. Real doubts. Real struggles. Real life. Who gives the authority? Who gives the power? The eternal son of God does. He gives the one command. Go make disciples. Go make disciples. Well, I want to say couple things here about that. He doesn't say, go build my church. Does anybody see that? Go therefore and build my church out of all the nations. He doesn't give you that task. He doesn't give me that task. He didn't give the 11 apostles that task because that task belongs to him according to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. He didn't even give us the command to go save people. Go convert people. Go get people saved. He doesn't say that. Because you know why? You can't save them. Why would he tell you to go do it? You're not the one that's going to do it. He does it. It's in, it's in uh, this that we find great comfort. He hasn't called us to do what we're not able to do. We don't have the authority or the power or the calling to save anyone. And we don't have the power or the authority to build anything. He builds it. He saves. How does he work in us then? What is he telling us to do? Follow me, worship me in real everyday doubters' lives and then cause, call others to the same thing. Call others to the same thing. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. So when I save them, you baptize them. When I save them, you baptize them. You place the seal and the sign of the covenant on them through baptism, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which unifies the whole church together of all time. We are all baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the name of the Spirit. The name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Spirit. All of us have been baptized into that name. So we are all united on this, uh, this journey as a family, as we go to make disciples. Those who follow Christ in his likeness and character. Those who worship him as God eternal through everyday living. Through everyday life. Make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, what? Teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Evangelicals do a really good job of talking about conversion. They do a really good job. We, we do a good job of talking even somewhat about baptism. What we never want to talk about is that last part of the commission. Jesus Christ gave over 500 commands, 500 commands in the Gospels alone. If you just take the Gospels, you look at them, there are 500 commands from Jesus. So when he said, 
teaching them all that I have commanded you. Well, what's the content of that? Well, at the very minimum, it's these 500 commands. Why? Because the men who heard him say that wrote the textbook. They wrote the Gospels. They passed on those commands. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, they wrote them down for us. And we have them. John Piper, in his book about the things that God, that Jesus Christ commanded of the world, talks about this. And the fact that one of the things that keeps people from being a disciple and making disciples is this very command to teach them to obey all that I have commanded. He says, these, these words cause us not to go on the mission. We step back and say, well, I don't know if I'll ever keep the commands. And so I don't know if I can teach anyone else to keep the commands. But see, that kind of thinking is warped because you think you're the one that has the power in yourself to do it. But what did I already tell you? Where does your power come from? From God himself, through Christ in the Spirit. He's not saying, go make yourself better. He's saying, I am empowering. I have all authority, and I'm giving you this commission. Go and do it. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them, and train them in all that I have commanded you. So we have a clear understanding of what this mission is. A disciple is one who follows after the leader, does what he does, has character like he has character, worships him as the eternal son of God, even in everyday life and doubts. Why? Because the authority of God himself has called us to do this. And what is it, the content of it? Seeing them saved by the power of God, baptizing them, and then teaching them, training them to walk by his commandments. It's not, a, it's, it's not an easy thing. It's just simple. It's just simple. And aren't you tired of the church in our current world trying to make it something different than it is? I see a lot of heads nodding. Doesn't it exhaust you to think of it as anything else? I mean, a list as long as you want to write it cannot accomplish what God will accomplish through this simple list. Why? Because he's the one who said do it. Obedience is the right path. That is the proof of discipleship. We get bored, though. We get bored. We get lonely. We feel like, you know, there's got to be more magic to this, you know. So we, we surround ourselves with all kinds of things to try to make the church bigger. We, we have whole conferences. I've said this many times in this poll. We have whole conferences about you knowing how to properly grow your church. You know, thousands of pastors will show up for it. You know, the newest, latest packaged plan that you're going to grow your church from 200 to 2,000 in a decade. Remember, Jesus said, I will build my church. He doesn't need our help, does he? He doesn't need our programs. He doesn't need our methods. We have a conference on evangelism, and we'll have thousands of people show up again and talk about the way to close the deal. I've actually sat in that talk. How to close the deal like a salesman, you know? Lay it out there, and then the big hook. But see, that's getting us into the focus of what? Saving people. Converting people. 
why not fill the conferences with just this simple truth? Fill the church pew with the process that God has commissioned. As God is saving his people and bringing them to acknowledgement, baptize them, and then teach them to obey all that I've commanded. And replicate it over and over and over again. Why? Because he empowered it. He has all the authority. And he called you to it. This is the calling. And we're to do it until he comes again. Look what he says. This is a a job that has an end date. Verse 20 says that we're to teach them all that he has commanded. And behold, I'm with you always, Jesus said, to what? The end of the age. Thank God there will be a day where there will be no more discipleship. There will be no more missions. There will, there will be no more imperfect walks. There will be no more failure, no more sin. That day when we stand around the throne of our Savior and we see him as he really is and he sees us and he sees himself in us, that day the mission's complete. There's no more going to baptize them and disciple them because they're all here. Aren't you longing for that day? Don't you want that day? Aren't you anticipating that day? Well, then, we've got to have some Apostle Pauls. We've got to have people that know that they are made and wired and gifted to go to the nations that have never heard. We have to have them. But we will only have them, church, out of grace fellowship. We will only have them if we're committed to the mission of the gospel, which is to disciple those that God saves. Baptize them and disciple them. The environment we create here will lead to be the platform of those who will launch into the unreached nations. And when that happens, you know what? You, Grace Fellowship, are reaching the ends of the earth. You never left your Jerusalem. You're just here living your life to the glory of God, doing what God has given you to do in the task. And what he does is he's doing work here that goes to the ends of the earth. There are people that will be in that throne who look different, talk different, are ethnically very separate from us. And they will walk up to you one day, I believe, in that eternal kingdom, and they'll grab you around the neck and say, thank you. Thank you for sending out a true disciple who came to my people and shared the truth of Jesus Christ with me. You are the reason that I'm here. God used you to bring me here. And you will have never met them. You can't even speak their language, but God will do it through you if you build the culture that I'm talking about. If we get focused on the discipleship, he will build his church. He will save his people. Okay? We get that? I thought about the Apostle Paul's life. This is how I want to end today. We we know the Apostle Paul was a very special case. He was, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I got saved, there was no bright light. Jesus was not standing bodily in front of me. That didn't happen for me, okay? If you think that happened to you, I'd like to talk to you afterwards, right? That didn't happen to you. He's a special case, but he's not totally unlike us. You see, the apostle Paul grew up in discipleship also. His whole life, he tells us in Philippians chapter 3, was committed to the old covenant His entire life, the Apostle Paul was trained and taught in 
the Jewish faith to believe in Yahweh. To trust him. To believe in him. To live his life according to his law. He says, according to the law, blameless. Pharisee of the Pharisee. Benjaminite. Hebrew of the Hebrew. That's who he was. You see, when he went on that trip that he thought to persecute the church and to persecute Jesus by persecuting the church, the only thing left was for him to come to know Christ as his Savior. All of the, all of the years of training had prepared him. Then Christ called him to the, to the mission. He was discipled also. He didn't just appear with all this knowledge. You know what Steve said that caught my eye about that? He said, there are 700, 700 places in the Old Covenant where God says that the, the nations will come to him. 700 places. Who knew that better than anybody in their day? The Apostle Paul knew it. He understood that God's mission was to save people. Now, he was wrong, right? He was wrong. He, he, he was persecuting the church. He was wrong. But he was discipled and prepared. And when God saved him, just like that, on the road, all of that truth that was in his head came to life through the Spirit. And he then became the Apostle Paul. So my point with that is just simply say, the discipleship you're putting in, mom and dad, at your home, what we're putting in in this church for those Christian children and those unsaved children is not wasted. It's all being used by God to build and strengthen and grow them to the point that he saves them and places them in the mission field, whether it's in Anniston or in an unreached people group. It happens through discipleship. The reason we don't care about it or don't want to do it, or maybe we struggle, let's put it that way, we struggle to do it is because it doesn't come with glitz and glamour. We would, we would do much better if there was something fascinating about this, but it's rather mundane work, being a disciple. It's rather mundane work. It's slow. It's not fast. It takes dedication to the mission. So that's what I want to call you to, church, is to remain dedicated to the call. Are you discipling your children in your home, parents, grandparents? Are you teaching them to observe what God called them through his son to do? Are you seeing that they hear the gospel so they might be saved and then baptized? Are you doing the daily work? Oh, you Christian businessmen, Christian, uh, Christian workers, in your chosen fields, wherever you are, you are in the ministry. You're on the mission. Whether you're in church work full-time, in a classroom, in a hospital, a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter what your vocation is. Your calling is the same. Are you calling people to Christ? And then when they come to Christ, showing them how to observe what he has commanded. The daily work. That's what I'm calling you to. Why? Because the end is coming. The mission is happening, and we are the platform from which God will build and send out his laborers into the harvest field. Let us be a part of that work until he comes, by his power, with the comfort of his presence, until the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, 
We thank you for this day. We thank you for this very simple call to the mission of the gospel. The Great Commission is a very simple thing. But in its simplicity, Lord, it's very difficult because we are people of the flesh who love the big event. We love to see miraculous, eye-opening things, never-before-seen things. That's what we long for, entertainment, and we long for big and not small, big events. But God, I pray Grace Fellowship would be faithful over the years to simply be a disciple-making church. Knowing Christ, our Savior, and making him known. Following him and observing what he's commanded us and calling others to join us in that journey. That's what we want to be, God, by your strength and power of the Spirit. We want to be this kind of church. Help us now. Help us as parents and as husbands and wives, as Christian laborers in the labor force. All throughout this county, we have mission fields where we are going every single day. Help us to be about this mission, this gospel mission to make disciples. Trusting you with the result, knowing that you are building your church, resting in your sovereign authority, comforted by your presence until the end of the age. And we long for that day that you would come and make us new. It's in your great name we pray, Jesus. Amen.